And let's turn and open our Bibles to the book of Genesis, book of beginnings. We are in chapter 23 this morning. So let's read our chapter together and then we will uh, dedicate this time to the Lord. Genesis 23, verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and meet with with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me to bury your dead? And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for your word. And, Lord, we just want to invite you in this place this morning, Lord, to 
Lord, to speak and to minister to us. So God, would you go before? Would you be high and lifted up, glorified in this place? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week, in Genesis chapter 2, we saw Abraham's faith being tested. That God commanded Abraham to offer up his only son, Isaac, as a burnt offering unto the Lord. And we saw that Abraham passed this test with flying colors. That he was willing to offer up his own son, even unto death. In fact, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, the chapter that we often call the, the hall of faith, it says that Abraham believed God, right? It says in verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 11 that concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, right? That Abraham believed that God can do the impossible, you know, as we saw last week, that that becomes such a, such a life lesson for us. That this is something that should encourage us, right? That whatever we are facing, whatever we are going through, whatever go, is going on in our lives, however we are being tested, we too can believe and have faith in God. In fact, I think that's why Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. You see, God is in the business of the impossible. All we need to do is have faith in him. We just need to have faith in him. And so that brings us this morning to chapter 23. Chapter 23, a chapter that is dedicated to the person of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And you know, not much is said about Sarah. In fact, this chapter that is dedicated to Sarah is only 20 verses long. You know, and I found a lot of commentators on this chapter just kind of roll right through and move on to chapter 24, because chapter 24 is, is awesome. And I can't wait till we get there next week. We see Isaac getting his bride, Rebecca. You know, we see a lot of, a lot of types in that chapter. I don't want to give too much away, but... You know, we see Rebecca as a, as a type of the church. We see Eliezer as a type of the Holy Spirit. You know, but we have this kind of parentheses in between chapter 22 and chapter 24, where we see the person of Sarah. And as I considered Abraham's wife this week, just being incredibly blessed of the information we do have on her. I thought it'd be good this morning just to do kind of a character study on her person, on who 
she is. So as usual, if you are a note taker, if you want to outline our text this morning, we have uh, four points that we're going to be looking at this morning about the person and about the character of Sarah. And I'll just give you those four points now and we'll drop back and we'll look at each one. The first thing we want to look at is the life of Sarah. The second thing we want to look at is the death of Sarah. The third thing we'll look at is the mourning for Sarah. And then fourthly and lastly, we will look at the burial of Sarah. So the life, the death, the mourning, and the burial of Sarah. So let's drop back and let's consider that first point, the life. The life of Sarah. You know, in verse 1, it says, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So as we consider the life of Sarah this morning, there's three things I want us to consider, three things I want us to look at in terms of, of her life. And the first is simple. She lived a long life, right? Our text tells us that she lived 127 years. You know, I, I looked it up just this week and the oldest person alive right now in Japan is 117. 117 years old. And Sarah lived 10 years beyond that. She lived a long life. We could say she lived a long and prosperous life. Spock would have been proud. But, you know, it's not just about the length of her life, but it's the manner in which she lived her life unto the Lord. And the same is true for us, right? It's not just how long we live, right? But it's how we live our lives, how we live our lives unto the Lord. You know, and we're gonna see that Sarah lived her life unto the Lord, you know, it's about what we do with the time that we have been given. You know, because we, we don't all have the same amount of time on this earth, do we? You know, that time is different for every one of us. For some of us, it's longer than others. You know, there are some, you know, that by comparison live a much shorter life than others. You know, but we might say that it's, it's less about the quantity of life and more about the quality in which we live our lives. You know, perhaps you've heard the statement, there's only one life to live, it soon will pass, and only what's done for Christ will last. You know, and that's a phrase that I've, I've heard quite often, and I looked it up, and it's actually a poem written by, by a man named C.T. Studd. And I'd like to, to read that poem to you. Because the whole poem reads like this. 
Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind it would not depart. One life to live, twill soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then, in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a, f a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burnt out for thee. You know, and I thought that was just such a wonderful reminder, you know, as we consider the life of Sarah this morning, you know, that she lived a life, not without her mistakes, but a life for the Lord. She lived a long life, but not only a long life, but the second thing that we see about the life of Sarah is that she had great faith. She had great faith. Again, going back to Hebrews chapter 11, looking at that hall of faith as we call it, not only do we see Abraham represented, but we see Sarah represented in this chapter as well. Right, that she is in the hall of faith in Verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Because she judged him faithful 
who had made the promise. Sarah had great faith. It says that she received strength to bear a child in her old age because of her faith. And notice carefully this morning, it's not just that she had faith. It was the object in which she placed her faith. It was who she placed her faith in that becomes significant. It says because she judged him faithful. That she put her faith and her trust in God. You see, her faith wasn't based on her performance. It wasn't based on something that she could muster up. In fact, if you remember, she tried that and it didn't work so well. No, she goes down in history in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 because she placed her faith in God. It's because of the object of her faith. Listen, faith is something that we all have. We all have faith. We place our faith somewhere, in someone, in something. Don't believe me? Every one of you this morning walked into this room and every one of you sat down in one of these chairs. And not that I was watching all of you, but I didn't see any one of you pick up that chair, flip it upside down and start checking the fasteners and the welds to make sure that chair was gonna hold you up, right? You just, you sat down knowing and trusting that that chair would hold you up. You see, our faith is only as good as the object in which we place it. Sarah, as we see in the book of Hebrews, put her faith in God. She believed in God. She believed in what God could do in her life. To take a seemingly impossible situation and to turn it around for his glory, for his purposes. So I think the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning, where are we placing our faith? What is the object of our faith this morning? Is it in yourself? Your abilities, your efforts, your strengths, your bank account, your education, right? You name it, whatever, whatever you want to put in there, where are you putting your faith? Or is it in God, in his abilities, in what he can do? Paul said in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You see, I said earlier that God works and is in the business of doing the impossible. But it means we have to put our faith and our trust in him. That he needs to be the object of our faith, right? Not our abilities, not our strengths, not our efforts, 
not in anything that we bring to the table. Listen, God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness is not dependent on me or on you. Right? Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, that he cannot deny himself. When we are faithless, he is faithful. You know, if you're like me, and you are, we often become faithless. We often get our eyes fixed on our circumstances, right? We get our eyes focused on our situation, on what we have going on. And when we do that, we start to freak out, don't we? Because what do I have to bring to the table? How can I fix this problem? How can I deal with this situation? What am I gonna do about this circumstance? Right, and when we start measuring things in those terms, I don't have anything to bring to the table. What are my strengths? What are my efforts? What are my abilities compared to God's? Compared to what he can do. And you know, in one sense, in one sense, that's, I think, where God wants us. Not focused on our own abilities and our own strengths, right? But I think God wants us to come to the end of ourselves, to come to that place where we realize that, you know what, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the ability, the effort, the strength to tackle this. You see, God wants us to reach the end of our resources, the end of our strength, the end of our efforts. He wants us to come to the end of ourselves. Because where you end, where you end is where God begins. When we get to that point, God says, you know what, now I can work. It's almost like he's up there saying, are you done? How long do you want to keep striving on your own? How long do you want to keep going at this in your own strengths and in your own efforts? It's like God's up there saying, no. Come to the end of yourself. And then I can begin to work. You know, and that is where Sarah came to. Right? I mean, we know the story. We've been going through the book of Genesis, and we saw Sarah trying to do things her own way. Right? God had made a promise. And the longer it took for that promise to be fulfilled, the more she tried to accomplish things her own way until they ultimately failed. Right? And when they came to the end of themselves, Abraham and Sarah came to the end of what they could bring to the table. Then God said, now... I can move. Now I can bring about my promise and give you a son in Isaac, the son of promise. You see, God recognized Isaac as the son of promise, not Ishmael. Well, let's come to the third thing about the life of Sarah that we want to consider. We see that she lived a long life. We see that 
She lived a life of great faith. But we also see that she is a good example. That she is an example to us. Now we have to turn to Peter's epistle to see this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So if, you're, if your finger is still in Hebrews 11, just turn to the right a couple, a couple pages. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6. It reads, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observed your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husband. And here it is in verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Sarah becomes an example for us. In chapter 2 of 1 Peter, Peter is, is dealing with the commandment for us to obey or to be submissive to governments and to masters. And he carries that same thought, that same idea into chapter 3 regarding the marriage relationship. You see, that word submit I know everyone's favorite word, but that word submit is the Greek word hupotasso. Hupotasso, it's used 40 times in the New Testament. It's a compound word in the Greek. It's the Greek word hupo, which means under, and the word tasso, which means to arrange. It means to be arranged under. It's a military term. It's a military term that was used to talk about being arranged under the command of someone else, right? It carries the idea of bringing order, bringing an arrangement. See, God has established an order of things, right? Going, going all the way back, right, to chapters one and two of Genesis. That there is an order, an organization of things, when God created Adam and then Eve. Right, and Paul, Paul affirms this same thing in the book of, of Ephesians, right? Chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then he says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. God has organized, God has 
arranged things in a certain way and in a certain order, right? Hupostasso, right? To, to arrange under. Now, why? Why this order? Why this arrangement, if you will? Let's look at 1 Peter 3 again. He says that you might win over your husband by your chaste conduct. Live in a life that honors God. The truth is, is God knew that we as husbands were going to be thick-headed, right? That we weren't going to get it the first time. That we would need that steady example in our lives. Right, that going, going back to Genesis 1 and 2, right? God created Adam. And then he said, yeah, it's not good that he be alone. Right, that God created Eve to complement Adam. Right, and then, then God said, right, that he shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. You see, God arranged things this way. God organized things this way because we complement one another. And that we, as husbands, need that steady example in our lives, just as, as Sarah becomes that example for us. Peter goes on to say that your beauty is not just outward. but that there should be an inward, incorruptible, he says, beauty of a gentle and of a quiet spirit. And he says that, that inward beauty is precious in the sight of God. It's precious in his sight. Now, don't misunderstand Peter here, right? He's, he's not condemning makeup Excuse me, he's not condemning jewelry. But what I, what I think Peter is trying to say is that the outward appearance is only skin deep, right? But that there should be an inner beauty, right? Something that goes deeper. Something that has a farther reaching effect than just makeup and jewelry. Peter says your conduct your conduct becomes an example that honors and pleases God. Sarah set this example, right? As he says in verses five and six, Sarah set that example for us. You know, as we talk about, as we consider, you know, the, the marriage relationship, you know, oftentimes the husband will say, you know, I. I'd love her, as Christ loved the church, if she would just submit to my authority. And in the same breath, the wife is so often sitting there saying, you know, I would submit to his authority if he would just love me as Christ loved the church. You know, notice in those statements, right? I would love her if she would submit, right? And the wife is saying, I would submit if 
he would love me as Christ loved the church. The thing is, is that in the, in the text, in the scripture, right, there is no condition, right? It's not a conditional clause. Right, so this doesn't mean that I can only, I only have to live up my end of the bargain if she holds up hers. Right, she says, I'm only gonna live up my end of the bargain if he holds up his end. Scripture is clear. We are commanded. We need to be obedient. You know, that we as men, we as husbands need to love as Christ loved the church, regardless. Right, and scripture says wives need to be submissive unto their husband, regardless. You know, and so often this is where, where problems can arise, right? As we start putting in those conditional clauses and says, I'm not gonna do this unless this happens. You know, and that's what I love about Abraham and Sarah is that they become examples for us on what that should look like. You know, and it wasn't that they went without problems. We know that they had their problems along the way. But they end up in Hebrews chapter 11, right, in the hall of faith as examples for us because they were obedient. They were obedient unto the Lord and they were obedient unto each other. Is everyone okay? Are we all right? <laughs> well, let's move on to point two this morning. We said there were four. We see the life of Sarah and the life that she lived, a long life, a life of faith, a life that is an example to us, but we also see the death of Sarah the death of Sarah. Verse two says, so Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Sarah died, right, as everyone must, right? The one true statistic is that one out of every one person will die. And it says that Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, literally the city of Arba. Arba was the, the father of the Anakins, which were the, the giants that lived in the land. And it says that the city of Arba, which is Hebron, right, which is in the land of Canaan. We last saw Abraham and Sarah in Beersheba, right, if we go back to to chapter 22, at the end of the chapter, we see them in the, in the area of Beersheba. So evidently they traveled some 25, 26 miles north to Kirjath Arba, back into the land of Canaan, into Hebron. And Sarah dies at, 20, at 127 years old. She dies and she leaves behind an example of faith, an example of, of obedience. You know, and as we mentioned, Sarah wasn't perfect. 
But you know what? God doesn't really expect us to be perfect, right? He knows that we're flawed. He knows that we're human. He knows that we're going to make mistakes. You know, here's some encouragement as I was thinking this week. At least it encouraged me. Do you know that you have never disappointed God? That you've never disappointed him? You've, you've never let him down. You see, those feelings are, are, are on our end. We feel as though we've been a disappointment. We feel as though we've let him down. But the truth is, is that God's up in heaven going, yep, I knew you were going to do that. I knew that was going to happen. I know you. I knew you'd respond that way. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me that God knows me. He knows my heart. He knows that I'm going to slip up and I'm going to fall along the way. You know, but my prayer for us this morning, for you, for myself, is that when we leave this earth, just as Sarah left this earth, that we can leave behind an example, an example of faith and of obedience. You see, Sarah left this earth. She lived a long life of 127 years, but she leaves behind an example. And I hope that when I leave this earth, whether it be through death or whether it be through the rapture of the church, you know, that the example is left behind, you know, is one of faith, one of obedience, an example of trusting in my God and in my Savior. And I hope that that's true for all of us. You see, we can point out Sarah's mistakes, but what she is remembered for is her faith, right? When we get to Hebrews chapter 11 and we see what she's remembered for, it's her faith in God. And I pray that when I leave this earth, something similar can be said of me, of us, that we are men and women of faith, of obedience, of trust. Well, Our third point, we have the life of Sarah, we have the death of Sarah, and we see the mourning for Sarah. Let's try and get through this in the last 45 minutes we have. It says that Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and it says that Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. You know, we want to consider Abraham for a moment, right? That Abraham came and he mourned and weeped for the death of his wife. Right, that Abraham is undergoing a major loss in his life. You know, Scripture isn't 100% clear. We're not entirely sure how long Abraham and Sarah have been married, but it's at least somewhere around 64 years, if not more. Right, that they were traveling, they were sojourning in the land of Canaan for 64 years. And Abraham just lost his partner, his wife. 
someone he has shared the majority of his life with. You know, losing a loved one, especially a spouse, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to go through, and I can't speak from experience. I haven't gone through that myself. You know, but losing someone we love, it's never easy. And weeping, mourning for that person is a normal, natural, healthy response. You know, but I love what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In verses 13 and 14, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring him those who sleep in Jesus. You know, that Abraham has this normal and healthy response to losing someone he loves. But we've already looked at her life and the example that she lives behind, that she lived a life of faith and that there will be a reunion for them. And the truth is, as we've mentioned, right, we're all going to leave this earth someday. And when we leave this earth, it will be at the right time, at the appointed time, that no one is gonna leave this earth early and no one is going to stay too long. You know, from our perspective, you know, we may think, oh man, they didn't get to live their life, right? They left us too soon. But we also know that we serve a God who is sovereign, who is on the throne, and he's the one making those decisions. And that God's timing is always perfect. You know, for those of us who are saved and those of us who have loved ones that are saved, you know, we know that death is not the end. In fact, death is rather the beginning, right? 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, for we are confident, yes, well-pleased rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there is mourning on our end, but for those who are in Jesus, we know that they are in the presence of the Lord. Now I have to note this morning that if you are here this morning, if you are watching online this morning and you do not know the Lord, that he is not your Lord, he is not your personal savior, I have to tell you that today is the day of salvation today. He is calling you today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. Oh, I'll get to that when I have more time. Today is the day of salvation. Know that the Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins. He bore your sins on the cross of Calvary. And if you put your faith and your trust in him this morning, if you make him your Lord, your personal savior, then this verse in 2 Corinthians can be your verse as well, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the question is, do you know where you're going when you leave this earth? 
Do you know what your final destination will be? I'm telling you, this is a question that you need answered today, right? Because we are not promised tomorrow. We're not. The simple fact of the matter is tomorrow might be too late. And that God is saying today is the day of salvation. You see, listen, when you read the Bible, God always wants you to make a decision today. Right, God is a God of the here and the now. So if that's you this morning, would you call upon the Lord? And would you invite him into your life? Well, we have to hurry. Let's come to the fourth and the final point this morning, and that is the burial of Sarah. The burial of Sarah. We've seen her life. We've seen her death. We've seen her mourned for. And let's see her buried. It says, then Abraham stood up. This is verse three. Abraham stood up from before his dead and he spoke to the sons of Heth saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. He says, give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham saying to him, hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. So Abraham stood up, bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, and he spoke with them saying, if it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give to me at the full price, he says, as property for a burial place among you. Now, Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I'll give you the field and the cave that's in it. I give to you in the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Hephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, if you will give it, please hear me, I will give you money for the field. Take it from me and I will bury my dead. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. And he says, What is that? What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. So Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, all the trees that were in the field, which were, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. 
So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. So we see here that Abraham was obviously a wealthy person. He was a person of high esteem, right? They call him a mighty prince, well esteemed in the area. And so Abraham has come and he's looking to find a burial place for Sarah, for his wife. So he asks these, the sons of Heth dwelling in, that, in the land, he says, let me bury my wife. Let me bury Sarah. And so they, they tell him, the land is yours. Pick the choicest of burial places, right? Wherever you want. So Abraham chooses the area of Machpelah, right, the cave that is there. And it's interesting that they say, well, just take it. You don't have to buy it. Just take the land. It's yours. You can have it. And Abraham says, no, 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 no. No, I'll buy it. Let me give you money for the land. Let me purchase it from you. See, the thing is, is this was actually normal practice, right, that they loved to heckle and to barter. And it would always start off very kind of polite, right? Oh, no, no, you're, you're esteemed. You're, you're a person of prominence. Just take the land. You can have it. Right? And Abraham says, no, no, no. No, I'll buy it. Right? And so this is how it worked, right? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's only like worth like 400 shekels, I guess. I mean, it's really not that much. Between you and me, it's not worth that much. In reality, the 400 shekels was actually an inflated price, right? That's how it works, right? You start high, right? And you start bartering back and forth until you can settle on what's a fair agreement. You know, I grew up watching my dad do this all the time. You know, my dad loved to buy vehicles. You know, and I watched him do it all the time. We'd go, he'd see a car for sale on the side of the road somewhere, and we'd stop, and he'd go to, to buy it, and just to use round terms, let's say the car was, was listed for like a thousand bucks. You know, they'd start this whole thing and, you know, he's like, well, you know, so the, obviously the buyer points out all the flaws. Well, it's got this wrong with it. It's got blemishes here. You know, and of course the seller's like, oh no, it's actually a really good vehicle. I've done all the maintenance, right? You, you have this thing going back and forth. The seller's trying to prove why it's worth what it's worth. The buyer's trying to get a good deal, trying to haggle it down. You know, and I've actually watched my dad said, well, I've only, I only brought $800 with me. Will you take 800 for it? You know, and, and the guy says, well, let me go talk to my wife. So he goes inside. I watch my dad pull out a lot of money, sift out $800, put in this half, put the $800 in this half, and, oh, here's my 800 you know. But they agree on a price. And this was normal. That 400 shekels was an inflated price because they were anticipating the bartering, the haggle back and forth. That's not what Abraham does, is it? Abraham takes the 400 shekels and he weighs it out. He pays full price to bury his wife. He pays full asking price. And I love how the text here emphasizes the fact that this property was deeded to Abraham. 
right? The property was Abraham's land by deed. See, we remember from, from before, God has promised Abraham the land, right? And he's been sojourning on the land for 60 some odd years. And in God's economy, the land belongs to Abraham. And it's interesting that this was the only piece of land that Abraham ever owned. This is the only piece of land that was deeded to Abraham, that he had paperwork to show, I own this, this is mine. And it's the cave that he buries Sarah in. And I think that's amazing, the fact that Abraham spent 60 some odd years sojourning, wandering the land of Canaan. Because I think that shows that he was a man of faith. And it wasn't until he had to bury his wife that he chose to purchase a plot, purchase a piece of property. Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah. And interesting, this is also where Isaac and Ishmael buried Abraham, right? When Abraham dies, his sons bury him in this same cave in Genesis 25, verse 9. Isaac and Rebekah were both buried in this cave, Genesis 49. Jacob and Leah and Joseph buried in the cave of Machpelah. This became known as the great tomb of the patriarchs. The great tomb of the patriarchs, and it's where Sarah is buried. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, he says, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. And I think what Solomon is, is saying, the point that he's trying to make is that when we're born and when we receive our names at birth, no one knows what we're gonna make of that name, right? No one knows how we're gonna live out our life and how we're gonna fill that name that we have been given. You know, and he says that that name, right, a good name is better than precious ointment. And he's, there's almost a contrast here, right? You can either have a fragrant name or a putrid name, right? The names of Abraham and Sarah go down in history as fragrant, that they lived a life and are remembered in death and are still remembered today as fragrant because of their faith and because of their obedience unto the Lord. And so as we close, is this the kind of testimony that we hope to leave behind ourselves? That when we leave this earth, the life that we live, will it be precious ointment unto the Lord? Will it be fragrance unto him? Will it be a life known for obedience, known for faith and trust in the Lord? It certainly was for Abraham and it certainly was for Sarah.
And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you this morning, God, for your word. Lord, we praise you, God, for the life of Sarah. Lord, the example that she is for us, Lord, that she followed after you, that she is remembered for her faith in you. Lord, the example that she leaves behind for us. And Lord, that constant reminder, Lord, that we have only been given this life. And we may not know when it ends, but we certainly want to live it unto you. Lord, like that poem said, only one life, it soon will pass, and only what is done for you will last. And so, Lord, may we live a life that is lasting in your kingdom, and that is a life that honors you and becomes an example to those around us. So, God, would you go before us the rest of today? Would you be high and lifted up in our lives? And Lord, we praise you and we thank you for this morning. And Lord, we pray these things in your precious and in your holy son's name. Amen.